Welcome to How to Catholic with Kevin and Lisa Cotter, a podcast dedicated to helping you practically live your Catholic faith with excellence. Pilgrimages are a pretty cool idea, but most people need a few more details. Where should you go? How should you get there? What do you need to know to turn these magical experiences into reality? On the podcast today, we tackle part two of our two-part series on pilgrimages. We'll share with you pilgrimage sites from around the world and your own backyard. Plus, we'll give you practical tips on how to make your trip a success. Along the way, we'll share a Catholic hack to help you focus in prayer. Let's get started. Allow me to tell you a story about a podcast. Perhaps it's a podcast you know. And listen to frequently? Yes. Hopefully. Yes. In a time... When they were supposed to do a season in 20 weeks, hmm. but it took them 40 weeks. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. But you know what? We're here. Yep. This is it. This is season four, episode 20, which means we are finally wrapping up season four of the How To Catholic Podcast. It only took twice as long as it was supposed to. Yep. But we're here and we did it. We did and it. And I am very excited about this episode. I am too. We are doing How to Pilgrimage Part 2. Yes. So we just finished Part 1. We've moved on to Part 2. And we have so much to say. We should just start. We should. But it is important to listen to Episode 1. Because we talked a lot about the why. We talked about why pilgrimages. Like, why do even Catholics go on pilgrimages? And a lot of the theology behind that, which I enjoyed a lot just thinking about and talking about. And then we talked about people's own why. Like, it's, it's cool to know the church's why. But within that, you have to find your own why, because that's going to help you with these next two questions on our episode today. So if you haven't listened to episode one, listen to that. But today, this episode is going to be great. We're going to be talking about a lot of things that we really love. Yeah. So we went through the why. Why go on pilgrimage? Now we're going to talk about where. How do you determine mm-hmm. How do you determine where you should go? And then the how. So how are you going to get there? Not just like, are you going to take an airplane or a car, but... Yeah. Kind of the details of how. This is the How To Catholic podcast. We'll give you some good tips on how. That's right. I feel like we could spend like whole episodes on each one of these locations, a lot of them that we're talking about. Yeah, like the major pilgrimage Especially ones sites. like we visited, but like we're just going to do an overview. Mm-hmm. This is like a quick tour to help you understand how to go on a pilgrimage and just give you lots of ideas. Yeah, and maybe you could tell us if you would like a deep dive into a particular mm. place. We haven't been everywhere, but we've been to quite a few. Let us know. Shoot yeah. us an email. We've got hello at made to magnify.com if you're interested in a particular place and we can go over some of the major sites. See, one of the things that we do. Yeah. Tell us. <laughs> Tell us the things <laughs> well, we do. What do we do? One of the things that Kevin and I that we love to do is whenever we hear about friends going on pilgrimage, particularly to Europe different places in Europe, we have them over for dinner and we walk them through a lot of the things we're going to share tonight, but based upon where they're going, yeah, we give details. So we just did this with Paul's second grade teacher and she and a friend who works at our parish mm-hmm. are going to Italy this summer and we had them over for dinner and 
spent two hours just talking about here's the places to go. Here's what you need to know. So this is kind of a little taste of that. So we, we really do love travel. How to Rome would be really fun and maybe even mm-hmm. how to France, but that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother brainstorm. Okay. So you yourself, if you are determined to go on a pilgrimage, have to first decide, well, after you've asked your why, now where are you going to go? And last time I gave a huge cliffhanger, if I can say so myself. It wasn't that huge. I'm just joking. But the question was, what were the four major pilgrimages sites in medieval times? Because again, pilgrimages, long history. Catholics, we have a long history of going on trips. And I asked you earlier tonight, and it was fun to try to see you. Name them, Lisa. I got two right off the bat. You did? Yes. So I mean, the most obvious one that everybody knows is going to be Rome. Yeah. Going to the Vatican. Yeah, totally. That's the first one. Yep. Second one I knew right off the bat would be the Holy Land, mm-hmm. where Jesus lived and walked and the disciples, you know, all the important stuff. In fact, I have a friend right now who's there, oh, and wow. I keep seeing stuff on the Instagram feed, and I'm like, I don't want to see it. I want to see it for myself. So I like scroll yeah. past your pictures because I want to experience it like live, not via. Anyways. Totally in my one day. Lift. The other two. I could not name. Yeah, it's becoming really popular now is the Camino de Santiago. That means the Walk of St. James in Spain, which uh, a lot of focused missionaries, they always go each year. Uh, And it's become really trendy to to go on this, whether you're Catholic or religious or even just secular. Lots of people in Europe are going on this Camino. You can start off even close to France and walk pretty much all across Spain. It's really cool. It's kind of like wild. Do you remember that? I don't remember <laughs> wild. It's a book where mm. you walk like the coast of California oh, and it's okay. the story of somebody doing that. And then, so then all these people like in crisis times of life, they're oh. going to go do wild, which is this. Or like the Appalachian walk. trail. On yeah. The East coast. Yeah. There's yeah. certain equivalents of it, but those aren't pilgrimages. Those are just like personal challenges. And some people will do the Camino just as a personal challenge, not for a pilgrimage. That's very true. The fourth one, which I think no one got who ant- on our podcast. If you did, you can write us either an email or on social media and tell us. But it's Mont Saint-Michel. Mont Saint-Michel. Mont Saint-Michel, which mm-hmm. is a pilgrimage site in France where an angel appeared to a bishop and said to build an abbey on this spot. And it's really cool. It's in northern France. Um, and... Uh, it's it's actually seen a lot of when you see Europe a lot of times they show Mont Saint Michel but you don't know it's Mont Saint Michel until you see a picture of it and you're like oh that's what that is so go Google Mont Saint Michel it's incredible it's like an amazing abbey castle structure on an island did you on mention an island. that I don't think I mentioned the island that does that's kind of it. important yep the whole thing is an island now they did build like a land bridge to get to it because it was problematic because people would get stuck on the island mm-hmm. when the tides would go in and out. It would either be an island or not be an island. Yes. So they made it permanently not an island. But then I think they're taking the land bridge away. Which they should. I think like either last year or this year or next year, some year near us right now, either in the past or in the future, they're taking the land bridge away. Yes. To make it more historical. Now, if you go there, we have been there. We have not mentioned that. We have been there. If you go there, don't eat the omelets. It's gross. It's really gross. It's a waste of money. Yeah. It's like the island specialty and you're like, this is a terrible terrible idea it's just like uncooked egg whites it's like a fluff like egg fluff it's gross anyways i got it because that's what you're that's supposed a really to get. important tip <laughs> i'm glad we gave that <laughs> that is our and first practical of all to. things we could tell you <laughs> don't get the cruddy omelets on Monte michelle they're gross 
Okay, so those were some medieval pilgrimage sites. Each one of those could be an episode. But we, we're like, no, there's lots of places to go. Like, where else, Lisa, could you tell us where to go? Well, I think the Marian sites are another great place to consider. There are a lot of amazing places where Mary has visited various people. So, of course, there's famous lords, France, with St. Bernadette. There's Fatima in Portugal, which just had the 100th anniversary this year, mm-hmm. which is pretty amazing. That's another very popular site. There's Arlie de Guadalupe in Mexico. She's pretty famous. That one, that's been one of my favorite pilgrimage trips when I went with Focus. Yeah. To Mexico City. That was an incredible trip. Yes. In Ireland, there's Our Lady of Knock. In uh, Wisconsin. Yeah. If you're here in the United States, there's the Shrine of Our Lady of Good Help. So yep. you don't even have to leave the country to go to a Marian shrine. No, that's that not. Is that an apparition site? Yeah. It, the apparition happened a year after Our Lady of Lords. So it was 1859. That's just crazy that it's not as well known. I guess because there's not a miraculous spring there. I think there have been miracles, but there's no spring. Yeah, and I think it was more late in recognizing. I think they only recognized it in the last few years. Mm. Bishop Ricken, mm-hmm. Bishop of Green Bay, Wisconsin, I think, is one who recognized that. And uh, her message, speaking of the wild, she said, go out into the wild, gather the children, and tell them what they need to know about salvation. So mm. Mm, evangelize those people mm-hmm. in the wild. A couple other Marian apparition sites, a little bit more off the beaten path. Our Lady of... Kibijo? Kibejo. Kibejo in Rwanda. Yeah, I talked about her on a liturgical oh, lowdown. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then a really maybe very few people is Our Lady of Akita, which is in Japan. Ooh. Yeah. So Marian apparition sites are fun because all around the world. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So that's really cool. Yes. If you do go to another continent, it's our personal belief that you should go to a Marian apparition site if there's one close by. I agree. You yes. should go if there's one close by. Okay, other places you could take your pilgrimage. Yeah, so, I mean, the saints are just a great source of pilgrimages. That's typically in medieval times, like Camino de Santiago, you're going the way of St. James to his his body, you know? So a lot of times mm-hmm. pilgrimages are about, again, becoming holy and going to see holy things, and the saints and the apostles are holy. And so um, in Europe, there's just so many great saints, and I think this is where a lot of your own personal devotions Again, that why and finding that why, like visiting where the saints lived or where they're buried, like is so cool. And so just thinking through like Poland is just filled with great saints. Uh, you know, you have JP2, you have St. Faustina, you have Maximilian Kolbe. Many of these just amazing heavyweights of the 20th century. France, you have just a lot of uh, incredible historic saints like Giambiani and Joan of Arc and Trezor Lisieux and like so many others. I mean, St. Vincent de Paul. Um, St. Thomas Aquinas is in France. St. Thomas Aquinas is in France. That's a crazy story of how we found him. Uh, so many, so many saints. Italy, even more so. Like, the land of saints. They're everywhere. Everywhere, especially in Rome. But then you have, like, outside of Rome, you have Padre Pio, you have Gianna Mola, you have Pier Giorgio Frassati. So, a lot of the saints we talk about and probably know more about in the 20th century. And, like, th- those are great pilgrimages just to be like, I love Pierre Giorgio Frassati. Like, let's go see where he lived, you know, or I love St. Trez. You can go see her house. Like, you can see where she lived. You can go to her backyard and be like, this is where she told her dad she's going to the convent. And then you can, like, walk to the convent and go inside. Like, for some people, I think that's, if I want to be like St. Trez, I want to live out St. Trez's life. Like, seeing her parish church and her house and her convent, like, can really bring that home. And that's an amazing pilgrimage. 
my favorite part about Lisieux is that the locals got so annoyed with the pilgrims asking, like, where's Therese's house? Where's Therese's, where she was baptized, her parish, all that. So they literally drew, well, painted a blue line throughout the town. And you just walk the blue line to get from site to site. So that way nobody has to talk to you. So if you get lost, you just find the blue line, start walking, and eventually you're going to hit one of her one of her major mm-hmm. places. Yeah. Or the they, convent they where's handy. Carmel. I'll yeah. be honest. Handy blue lines. <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed the blue lines. You know you're somewhere holy when the town has to paint a line. Hmm. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yes. Well, maybe be like, this is where Kevin drove to work in his car each day. I'm yeah, you thinking. couldn't walk that. <laughs> Walk the 30 miles or I don't know. how. Trying to get holy enough for them to draw lines (laughs) on this town. Um, Now, I don't want to leave out too. You don't have to leave the country. I was just going to say that. I was not going to leave it out, but go ahead. So obviously, if you're from the United States, we did mention um, Our Lady of Good Help in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. But your own town will have places you can go to visit. Your own country will have places to go to visit that maybe you can drive to. So if you're thinking about a pilgrimage, you know, think outside the box of, well, I have to go to the Holy Land to take a pilgrimage. That's not true at all. Mm-hmm. Um, one place to start would just be calling your diocese and asking, where are some places to go, holy places here in the diocese? So I think we mentioned this on the last podcast, but we have... Um, a why can't I think of the name for it? Um, yeah, you're really helpful right here. Uh, uh you're not giving me much of a prompt <laughs> to help you out. Cabrini, you know that thing shrine, I'm thinking of? Can shrine. you name it? Yeah, shrines. shrines Asking, are, are there any shrines in your diocese? Yeah, right. Good. So we have Our Lady, our Cabrini, Mother Cabrini Shrine. Yep. Not too far from us. Um, or you can ask, you know, are there any basilicas, major basilicas? Not really. Typically, unless you live in D.C., but maybe there might be a minor basilica nearby or just going to your cathedral or mm-hmm. going to um, I, in New Mexico. There's the mysterious. I don't know what they're called. The Holy Stairs. Yeah. So the belief is that some sisters were trying to build this chapel and they needed these stairs to go up to their choir loft. And uh, the 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 belief is that St. Joseph came and built them for them and then disappeared. And to this day, when people try to figure out how they were built no architect can figure it out. No engineer can figure it out. It doesn't make any sense. It's really cool. How they're standing. And I think like the wood isn't even from that area. Right. Yep. It's like from, is it from the Holy Land? I don't even know. It's Possibly. Like crazy. Yeah. It's something crazy like that. It's so, a really good story. Yeah. There's also, I was just trying, I like literally brainstorming my head right now, different U.S. ones. Cause you know, summer vacations are coming up. Um, so there's like the missions in California and mm-hmm. upper upstate New York. There's the shrine to North American martyrs, many of the early Jesuit missionaries who evangelized America and Florida. You can see like uh, other missions are like the first place where there was a mass. Like that was one thing our missionaries would do in Florida is like go to the place where the first mass happened in America. Like just mm-hmm. really interesting spots. So yeah. So um, if you're planning a summer vacation, call the diocese and ask, is there something nearby? Could you take a little mini pilgrimage in the midst of your family vacation? Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. You should do that. Yeah. Awesome. So first you got to choose where you're going to go. Yeah. Just hopefully they gave you some two. good ideas. Yes. Lots of good ideas. Next, you need to ask, how am I going to get there? We do. But before that, we're going to do our Catholic hack. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I can't believe I almost forgot the hack. Okay. So the hack this week is not a spontaneous one. This is the hack I was going to use last week. Mm. 
Although your spontaneous hack was pretty exciting, but go ahead. It was a good one. So the hack for this week is actually inspired by Jennifer Fulweiler. So on Instagram stories like a week or two ago, she was sharing about when she writes, she sets a timer for herself to write for a block and then take a break. But instead of setting a physical timer, she has playlists. So she has a 20 minute playlist or a 40 minute playlist, whatever it is. And then when the playlist is done, then she takes a break and that stops her from constantly looking at this clock that's counting down and she's just waiting for the music to stop. So the hack is to use this concept for prayer. So if you're the type of person who maybe has a hard time praying, then, or if you're like, I know I want to pray for this long, but I always end up just petering out after seven minutes and just kind of giving up. Set a playlist for yourself. Create some prayer time playlists that are maybe 10, 20, or 30 minutes, depending on how long you want to pray, and just run that playlist and allow that to be your timer. And then you know, okay, when this music is done, then my my prayer time has has been completed. And there's twofold to that. So one, it keeps track of your time. Two is with research, there are all kinds of websites and apps you can buy. What comes to mind would be Focus at Will where they will play for you music that helps you to concentrate. And so there's something about having that kind of white noise of music in the background that pushes out anything else but what you're trying to concentrate on. It stops you from like getting a song stuck in your head or something because you have this other music going on. So twofold, one, it'll keep time for you. Two, it can help you focus during your prayer time. If it's, especially if it's beautiful, sacred music or whatever speaks to your heart, um, that isn't going to distract from your prayer, but can kind of be the playlist in the background that can help you to concentrate a little bit more as you pray. So that's just a little hack to try, especially during this Lenten season when we are working on prayer, fasting, and almsgiving as you're working to deepen your prayer life. Something to try. So thanks, Jen Fulweiler, for allowing me to morph one of your hacks. And thank you, Lisa, for always providing a hack each week. You're welcome. And I've been starting to do them. If you're newer to the podcast, um, we've, we've, we've done hacks throughout Mm -hmm. and I've been starting to do those on Instagram. So if you want to kind of catch up on hacks, I'm doing probably like two a week is what I've been doing. Just started, but those are all in my, um, saved, whatever those things are called. Stories. Well, I do them in my stories and then I save them in my highlights. Oh, highlights. So you can just watch like a reel of hacks as I add to them. Nice. Yeah, that's really fun. find some hacks that you missed Yeah, if you enjoy them. Go video-wise instead of just audio. It's great. Okay, now we can talk about how you're going to get there. We sure can. Oh, good. Now, there's really two options that came to mind. It's like you need to pick one of these options and then from there figure out the how-to. One of the options is a lot easier on the how-to than not. Option one is you go on a guided tour. You actually go with a group, usually a Catholic group. And we know lots of people that that do this. Friends who, yeah, who yeah. do pilgrimages. Yeah. And this is different. So make sure, first of all, it has to be a Catholic, like advertised as a pilgrimage. You can't go with a secular company to Italy on pilgrimage. Yeah, that's silly talk. They're just, it's, it's not, that that's that's sightseeing. And maybe that serves its purpose. But if you're trying to go on a pilgrimage, that's that's different. Yeah, so like, some good options here are people we know just off the top of our head. Dr. Edward Sri, Tim Gray, Sarah Swafford, Jeff Cavins, Chris Stefanik, Leah Darrow, Dynamic Catholic, like lots of great people out there. And your parish. Uh, parishes yeah. all the time are taking pilgrimages. Mm-hmm. So you could 
go that way. And that really simplifies the process of how you're going to go. So pros and cons of going on a guided tour. Pros are, okay, these people have typically done this trip before. They have a plan. They can set up all the bookings. You know, it's it's all laid out for you and it makes it easier to just go and not have to worry about a lot. Cons, it's usually because someone is doing all the planning and booking for you, it's going to be more expensive um, because they're going to, uh, not always save money for you. And also they're, you know, they, they want to make money as they, they go on that pilgrimage as well. So right. Like they get paid for doing all that work yeah, and rightly. So totally, totally, totally. Um, and, and at the same time, like you don't have as much flexibility because, um, you don't get to plan it yourself. So you have to stick with the group. Sometimes you're traveling in big groups. So that can be a little bit different than a smaller group going to a site. Cause you just know there's a lot of people you, the group might be really helpful and that's great to get to know people your style might be like, I don't want to get to know all these people. Like, I'd rather just do my own thing. So those are some, yeah, pros and cons. And you kind of have to think about where you're going to. So we've gotten to a point where we don't do group tours. Mm -hmm. We did in college. We went, both went with Dr. Shree yeah. in college. And that was fantastic. And now that we know Italy, we've since been blessed to go back twice. Mm -hmm. um, I guess the, I guess we went again with Focus, and that was with a, t a guided yeah. tour. Uh so the third time we went, we did it on our own with our family. We didn't need somebody else. But if we were, we've never been to the Holy Land. That is on the bucket list. If yeah. we were to go though, I wouldn't, I would not try to do that on my own. No. No mm. way. So no. <laughs> there's no way. That one we would definitely do with a tour group. So you really need to think through kind of what is your aim? Is this something that you could do on your own? Is it not? Um, yeah. In certain groups, it's like, hey, you're going to be on a charter bus and there's 50 people. Other tour groups, I know Dr. Shree's really great about smaller groups and you feel a little bit more intimate, you know? And I don't know, uh, you know, all the different people. But when we went with Dr. Shree, it was, you know, it was that smaller group and that that mm -hmm. helped. So you just want to like, that's something to ask if you're looking at the guided tours. Like, how many people are going on this trip? You know, like, because um, I think that'll change your experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was option one. Option number two is self-guided tour. Like, you can just go yourself. Yeah, self-guided pilgrimage. Yeah, self-guided pilgrimage. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm -hmm. So I think the good thing about this is you usually get to see exactly what you want. So you could plan your own itinerary. Um, you know each step along the way. Uh, typically, it's going to be cheaper. Or particularly, like you could say, I'm going to spend money on the things I really care about and not spend money on the things I don't care about. Whereas in a guided tour, they might be like, I don't even want to go to that place this day, but like that's a part of the package and... I'm going to pay for it, you know? So I think that's a nice thing with customizing it. Uh, the cons is you do have to plan it. Like you have to figure things out. You have to do the legwork. You have to do the bookings. You have to think through all those things. And if you haven't been there before, sometimes that can be difficult or stressful, or you just don't understand how it works. And you kind of have to be ready for those bumps along the way. Yeah, definitely. It's the way... Mm. I'd say outside of the Holy Land, that's the way that we prefer to travel. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what we've spent a lot of time studying and learning from as we've taken trips, pilgrimages overseas throughout the years. Mm -hmm. And so we want to give you kind of some of those tips about, okay, so what do you do if you do go by yourself? Totally. Because we really like that. I like planning my own trip. I like knowing like why I'm going and what I'm seeing and and checking out myself. And like that nimbleness of like, great, I want to spend more time here or I don't want to spend as much time like I get to choose, you know, mm -hmm. um, is really, really valuable for me. And I think people can be really intimidated by that, but 
but I think it's easier than they think if they really dive in and, and have that desire to do it. And maybe it's like, this is the way I have to do it. Cause I don't, I can't spend that much money. Um, I think that's usually when I look at some of those tours, it's like, wow, that's a sticker shock. Like I, we can't, you know, it's like, I couldn't pay that much, but the self-guided has some fear. It's like, all right, well, could we get over some of those things? Could you plan it yourself? Mm-hmm. And I would say too, when you're planning now, first of all, I do need to say that Kevin is the one who really plans our trips. He's the one who does the itineraries and they're down to the minute, which I love. And I'm the one who like packs us and makes sure that whether the kids are coming with us or not, all the stuff on the home front is taken care of before we go. Mm-hmm. Um, so it works out really well, I think, because Kevin likes to do all the research. And I, like I said earlier, like, I don't want to see it until I see it. That's true. <laughs> so yep. Kevin's like, let's watch this video about this place we're going to go to. I'm like, no, I, I want to <laughs> see it in real life. I don't want to have expectations mm-hmm. or be disappointed if it doesn't look like it looked on the video or whatever. Um, but I would say if you do, this would be my first tip. If you do plan your own itinerary, as silly as this sounds, and I know some people will totally like cringe at this, but we really plan it down to where are we going to eat that day? Mm-hmm. And that sounds maybe rigid, but it's really freeing when you get there because it can be really overwhelming to not have a plan when so many other things like your brain is having to spin its wheels at all moments because all moments because everything's so unfamiliar. Yep. And so just knowing, okay, we're going to this site and this site, and then here's where we're going to lunch that's right next door freeze things up and you don't waste time going, where should we get lunch? I don't know. What do you feel like? Well, is that place expensive? I don't know. Is that place highly rated? Kevin will find the best of the best restaurants. So part of international travel is you really want to try the cuisine. And so we make sure every time we eat, if we're gonna have to spend money on eating out, we're gonna make sure it's a good place to eat. We're not going to just go to some hot dog stand on the corner because we failed to plan. Yeah. It's like, if you're going to spend that much time and energy going on a trip, like spend the hour or two back at home, like at night when you have free time, then spending two hours trying to figure out where you're going to eat lunch. Like what a waste of time mm-hmm. is it spend two hours mm-hmm. in frustration of all things. Yeah. Or if you wait to plan and then you're sitting around waiting for the bus to arrive so you can get to the thing, it, half your day can be eaten up just waiting for the next like steps you can get to where you're trying to go that you decided that morning. Yep. So we were thinking, I was just trying to categorize like we do, like what are three ways to help people with this? How to, um, especially if you're doing this self tour. So the first one is just to learn about your destination, like really understand everything. And we typically start most of our trips just looking at Rick Steves. We love the Rick Steves. Some people are like, Oh yeah, Rick Steves. I see him on PBS or I've seen his book before. Other people are like, who is Rick Steves? And Rick Steves is kind of a, um, well, uh, he's kind of an older gentleman at this point in time. He's a little geeky, but he knows <laughs> a lot about European travel. And he's created an entire business about he himself going to Europe, touring places, and then writing guidebooks based off of real lifetime information about where you should go and what's great. And I think the thing I love about Rick is, one, he knows how to cr- give you lots of information in a way that's really easily to digest, to giving you what you really need to know. And then two, he, he does so in a way that allows options for whatever budget you're on. He gives you options to be able to pull that off. And I think typically for people who are trying to save money, he always finds ways for it's like, here's what you really need to do. And here's how you save money doing that. And I just always appreciate that. Cause that's the way I think as well Is like so much stuff to do. How do I prioritize and how do I save money? That's what I'm usually after when I'm, I'm trying to travel. 
Yeah, I remember using just one simple tip from him when we went to France was this like Paris Museum Pass. And we bought it at what felt like a gas station kiosk or something. Mm-hmm. And then every museum we went to, we just went right to the front of the line. So people were waiting in line for hours, sometimes in the rain. And we would just go up to this like pre, pre-order pass line. Nobody would ever be in it and just walk right in. Yep. It was just one tip. But it was like mm-hmm. that was worth a half day of lack of frustration, you know? And lines. Yeah. We didn't wait in any lines to get into things like the Orsay or the Louvre. Like it was just yeah. all like, boom, we're in. And we didn't pay any more. It was incredible. So that stuff's really great. Uh, Rixie's, you know, Rixie's isn't Catholic. He has a Lutheran background. He can be a little bit anti-Catholic. He can be a little bit secular. Um, he has some interesting beliefs. But so sometimes you'll find him be a little irreverent or not as kind to the church, but usually it's easy to spot and like you can get over really quickly. I, I really uh, enjoy using him. He has guidebooks, like I mentioned before. He had has podcasts, which I think are really helpful. A lot of times it's interviews with local guides on what to do, what not to do, how to really you know work your way through. And then he has self-guided tours, which is a huge gem. Uh, a lot of times when you go to these places, it's really expensive to listen to their tours. The tours aren't very good. Rick actually just makes his own tours and it, on his app, you can just download his tours and listen to them. Um, and that usually is, well, it just saves a lot of time. It saves a lot of money. And it's usually the best information you can find. Yes. Like if you go to somewhere like the Louvre, there's, you'll see the groups around with their guide, you know, and there's like mm-hmm. a little pom-pom or an umbrella that they're holding up so everyone can follow along. And they've got their earbuds in so they can listen. And then you'll see the people who bought for like 15 euro uh, the little handheld one that they take with them and they check it out and they use it and then they check it back in. Um, so those are like the expensive ways. <laughs> and then the freeway is you just download Rick Steve's tour of the Louvre. Yeah. And he walks you through all the major places and you download it before you go and it's done. It's free. And on the app, they'll have maps or you can have the maps in the book. Like it's just, you're like, this is awesome. And I paid what, like 15 bucks for this book. And now it's, it saved me tons of money and time and uh, helping out. So um, that's, you know, Rick's going to cover a lot of secular things. He's going to cover a lot of religious things as well. Not everything, especially when you get down to saints, but a lot of different uh, places he's going to walk you through what you need to know. Um, sometimes you needed some added materials for understanding Catholic areas, and that's where I'd just say, Google it. There's lots of people who have been to these sites who are more than happy to help you out. Um, and I usually when we get in those spots, we'll just Google something and that church will have a page in English to explain it or somebody else has been to it. Um, so much helpful stuff out there. One thing I really love that's out there, it's kind of a combine between a self-guided tour and a guided tour is a guy named Mountain. He works for Catholic Traveler. And particularly if you go to Rome, Mountain does like day pilgrimage tours and they'll take you around to Rome. And he's just an expert at the city. He's a really friendly guy, super knowledgeable, um, He's we awesome. ran into him in Rome one we time. We did. It we was were, really fun. We thought about using him. We didn't. We probably should have. And then we ran into him. It was really great conversation. And he really wasn't fun. working. He was just like out. Yeah. I think he had like one, some relatives in town was and showing them around Rome. Yep. Yep. That's good. So, I mean, I think there's, there's guides out there. There's Catholic guides out there. Like you just need to do some research and get mm-hmm. some books from the library or whatever it takes. Like mm-hmm. you can learn your destination. It's not. Not impossible. Yeah, and that is that is really another hybrid too. So I'm thinking when we went to Sevilla, mm. there was like we um, we had done 
Spain and Portugal on our own, but there were certain cities that we went to where we just paid for a one day guided tour. Yep. So we went to Sevilla and you just jump in with a bunch of other random strangers, but you sign up in advance for that tour. So if you want the hybrid, you're like, I, I know nothing about this town. Well, this lady was able to, in English, give us a tour of Sevilla, a walking tour. Mm-hmm. And she explained everything and was a great guide and resource. Um, but it was only a commitment for four, four or five hours. Yeah. And then, you know. Or who could forget Chartres in France when we were there and we saw oh, yeah. Malcolm. Malcolm is like 75 years mm-hmm. old. He's been studying Chartres, I think, for like 50 years of his life. And he gives tours every day and each tour is slightly different. And he's like the most gem of a human being. He's from England and uh, yeah, Rick Seas recommends him and it's like 10 euro and it's the best 10 euro you can spend in a day. Like he's mm-hmm. just phenomenal. And Chartres is a church outside of Paris that's mm-hmm. really... Um, Really iconic and it's amazing. amazing. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's probably the biggest tip we can just learn about your destination. There's a lot of ways to, to do that. There's a lot of resources out there. We'll put some of those in our show notes. Number two is just learn the art of traveling. Just the idea of going to Europe can be really overwhelming to people outside your destination. It's just like, how do we get there? And how do I book tickets? And what do I do? And what about the language barrier? You can learn the art of traveling. Mm-hmm. And I would say the first tip for that would be to learn the language, not that you need to be fluent in it, Mm -hmm. but learn a couple of key phrases. So please, thank you. Um, I would like learn that in that language, Mm -hmm. learn how to count in that language learn how to ask where, where is, and whenever, at least this has been our experience. Whenever we go to a non-English speaking country, if we have those phrases, we get treated so much better by the people that we encounter who are native to that culture, to that country. So if you just approach them and you try, they appreciate that. Just the fact that you try. But if you walk into their establishment, which is like their home, that's, that's just European culture. And you're just like using your English without even like giving respect to the fact that you have come to visit them in their country, they get really annoyed. Mm -hmm. But if you come in and you just, you say, good morning, um, I would like, and they'll notice that you're not native <laughs> and they will be proud to switch to English and show you like, Oh, like, do you know, I know English, but if you come in and assume, then they get really frustrated. Mm-hmm. So just those key phrases, you'll want to learn those and use them whenever you can. Yeah. I think that's a great example of like just a little travel savvy and all of a sudden you've opened up a whole nother possibility and you have so much more confidence and people are so much more helpful mm-hmm. versus just like not knowing that and offending people, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think all those little travel tips are huge. Rick Steves, I'll go back to him again, has just videos. You can watch 25 minutes long. He has two or three of them. And in about an hour and a half, you can learn a lot of those tips similar to what Lisa just explained and know like, Hey, when should I book? Or how do I be safe? How do I change out money? Um, what's, what's the best way to talk to people? How do I learn the language? Um, how do I pack? Um, I think that's one thing with, with Europe that we, it's like, we always take one bag and we can check it, uh, or we can carry it on mm-hmm. and that way no one loses our luggage and we're not lugging baggage, baggage around. And it's like, mm-hmm. Oh, that makes all the difference. Cause if you have too many bags and it's like, you're not nimble, you can't go places. Like you're really, yeah, you just, you're overburdened with stuff. Mm-hmm. So I would say that's huge. If you can carry on, it just prevents a lot of headache and saves time. Yep. Whatever it takes. You carry on. And nobody else is, nobody's going to be seeing you every day. So if you wear the same three outfits three times, who cares? Yep. And 
honestly, it's Europe if you're going there, which is where a lot of these are. And people there just don't wear deodorant anyway. So if you smell it, you just blend right in. Yeah. I mean, they have armpit hair. You'll be fine. <laughs> You'll be fine. Not to say they're unhygienic, but you know. Yeah. And I think too, like, that's what I like about Rick Steves. I think also that spirit of pilgrimage, not that Rick Steve, he understands pilgrimage. Um, but I think he has more of a sense of like down to earth, meeting with the locals, talking to people, um, you know, and I think a lot of times with pilgrimages, that's what you want is a little bit more of an intimate experience than, than not. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do that with a guided tour like we talked about before. That can be helpful, but I think it's also nice to really like touch and feel and talk and like get a sense of the place and the people. Mm-hmm. Not that you touch the people. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> hey, you want to move on? <laughs> so <laughs> on that note, we'll put a link to Rick Steve's travel tips in the show notes. There's so many tips in the show notes it'll be fun but yeah number three um this is like really specific but i think one thing that keeps people from traveling particularly europe is like oh the flights are so expensive like that's so much money and that's true but one thing that we've really utilized is finding a way to get our flights for free Free. there i said it free 99 free 99 95 no typically about you know close to free and um the way we do this, and there's always like some prefaces to this, maybe I'll give them afterwards, but the way we do this is typically by signing up for a credit card, receiving the bonus, and then using that bonus to fund a ticket. So obviously if you don't, many of the times you get the bonus because you actually spend a certain amount of money, uh, or if obviously you have bad credit, like we're not recommending like going get it, like you have to do this with like prudential judgment. Like if you have debt, this probably isn't a good idea. Or like, you know, Go to Dave Ramsey. Figure things out. So, like, there's some cautions around credit Before cards. Before you. Yeah. yeah. But if you're, like, in a good financial place, you already have a credit card, there's a way to be more savvy with your points. And you make your money work for you. Correct. And you work the system that's out there. Mm-hmm. So, my favorite way, give you an example here, is the Chase Sapphire Preferred card. There's, there's a Chase Sapphire Reserve, and there's a Chase Sapphire Preferred. This is for the Preferred. There's other stuff to reserve. We'll, we'll leave that there. But... For the preferred, if you spend $4,000, so if you sign up for the credit card, you spend $4,000 in three months, which for some people that's easy, some people that's harder. But if you do that, you receive 50,000 points, chase points. But also you spent $4,000, that's 4,000 more points, and that's 54,000 points that you can have presumably after three months. Well, why is this important? If you get to 60,000 chase points, which you're almost there at 54,000, you can transfer those 60,000 chase points to United Miles. And that's really important because 60,000 United Miles will get you a free round-trip ticket to anywhere in Europe. And so if you can imagine, maybe if you're single out there, you could do this just for yourself. If you're a couple, you could open up a credit card and do this, and then your wife could open one. And over the course of six months, you could get uh, either those two two tickets or very close to it. And um, all of a sudden, you have two free flights to Europe, and that might mean $1,200 each or $1,500 each. And now that you've paid $3,000, but it's free instead, like that could be the difference between going to Europe or not. Because at that point in time, once you had the free flights, it's kind of like, well, this is pretty similar to a vacation I might take in the United States mm-hmm. based on hotels and food and all those different things. Uh, only thing I'd add is usually you have to pay about $100 in security fees. Which is not much. Yeah, so, I mean, we said free. It's probably mm-hmm. about a hundred bucks for, you know, There's 20 bucks for fees, yeah. two tickets to Europe is pretty good deal. But you just have to work the system and plan it out. 
Okay, now I have two more things I have to say that are coming to my mind that have oh. to do with travel. Okay. One would be, this is just like a, a, a quick hack, Yeah. is when you are going in and out of customs, you can oh. download an, uh, a form. So every, they're going to go around, they're going to be like, you need to like fill out your form so you can come back in through customs. Or you can do it on your phone and then you skip the customs line. It's true. Called that, Global Passport. Yes. And that that's free. You don't have to pay for that. It's true. Or Mobile Passport. One of the two. Yeah. Okay. We'll find the link for it. Yeah. Um, but you just, you do it on, on the plane, on your phone. And then everybody else is standing in line with their little piece of paper and you just walk up to the kiosk and scan your thing and you're done. I did it in Denver and there is a 45 to 60 minute line and I was, went to the other line and there were two people. Yeah. It was incredible. Yeah. So that's, that's a really good one. You it definitely is. need yeah. to do that. The other thing that I would suggest is if you are flying to Europe, you will find some really cheap flights, relatively cheap flights that are at awful times to fly. Hmm. So just be very aware of what you're booking and what that means for the time change. Because if you get to your destination and you're just jet lagged and feel awful and it takes you three days to get on schedule because your flight time was so bad, is that worth the $500 you saved? Yep, probably not. Probably not because you only have maybe a week, two weeks, three weeks tops. I don't know. Yeah. So you really want to think through when are you going to actually fly? What we always do is we fly at night, um, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Like we have like dinner and then we try to go to bed and then you arrive in Europe like mid morning to late morning, just depending. Mm-hmm. And then you just stay up all day and then you go to bed. So you're up for like 36 hours ish. I mean, you kind of slept on the plane, but yeah. um, th- then once you go to bed then the next morning you wake up and like the clock's reset and you're ready to go. Yep. But if you arrive at like, I don't know, like 3 a.m. or whatever, because you got some crazy flight time. Yep. It's brutal trying to figure out what you're supposed to do. And you don't want to sleep away your whole first day because you're so exhausted. Yep. So really think through your flight times and don't just buy the cheapest flight possible. Yep. Jet lag is real and getting over it can really help your trip. That can be mm-hmm. make or break for you, especially if you just don't, you can make some rookie mistakes on jet lag that can set you back or all of a sudden you're off the whole trip because yeah, yeah, you're just struggling. Yeah. So bring, bring earplugs, get a neck pillow and bring melatonin. And just make yourself sleep. And if you want to know more information on points, um, I mentioned Chase Sapphire uh, preferred card. But, you know, you can do Marriott points for hotels. You can just find creative ways to get your costs down. So I really recommend the points guy. That's the person I always go to and trying to find out more about credit card points. What are the best cards out there? What are the best deals? How If I'm trying to figure out how to use my United points the best way or whatever it might be. Like he has really de- detailed information on pretty much any type of point system that you could uh, want and some really good plans. If you're looking for a little Catholic perspective, my good friend, Brian McAdam has a website, uh, brianmcadam.com. And he gives, gives awesome stuff on just travel hacks and tips and points um, and a little bit of a Catholic perspective as well. Uh, he's fantastic. So two great places to uh, check out. And we've had him on the show before. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So you can look back. We'll link to that episode as well. Yeah. I think it was like how-to life hacking or something. Yeah. yeah. It was good. It was yeah. really good. Okay. We did it. It's we time did. for our how-to challenge, which yeah. really is kind of the challenge that we gave you last time. I think last time it was like, think about doing a pilgrimage. Now it's like, plan a pilgrimage. 
Yeah, and if you're going to go local, like, great, go local. Like, find a spot, find that shrine. Go to your own parish. Sometimes you're like, have we even thought about, like, everything in our own parish and, like, when it was built and why it was built this way? Like, you could take, you know, like, this doesn't mm-hmm. have to be hard. But I think also if you, um, you know, are inspired today, like, start researching, go to the library, check out a book. Lisa and I are starting to plan for our 2020 pilgrimage for our 15th anniversary coming up. Mm-hmm. Um and I found something cool today. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is great. But like it takes planning and uh, yeah, it's worth doing well because uh, for us, you know, this is why we love this episode. It just, these are great moments in life and like great memories and great experiences and things we really bring back with us as we go on those journeys. Uh, it really helps us live the one we're living each day on our own lives. Well, that's it. Yeah. That is our show for today. And Thank- our season. In our season. That's right. We, we failed to tell you. So we are going to take six weeks off. Mm-hmm. That is what we do between season breaks to try to help figure out how we're going to make the podcast even better. And I know it seems like you've taken off a ton of time already, but we are really just starting to get back into the groove of life. Isaac is now three and a half months old. So um, this is just fruitful time for us to actually be able to think about the podcast, which we haven't been able to do concretely for a while. So... Mm-hmm. We'll be taking our break. So basically, we'll see you after uh, Lent is over. Yeah. Pretty much. true. So, okay. So for real, that is our show for today. Thank you for listening in. If you want to connect with us, our email is hello at made to magnify.com. Or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kevin R. Cotter or Lisa Ann Cotter. That's Ann with no E. As always, if you have enjoyed the show, please give it a rating on iTunes, add it to your podcast subscriptions, and tell a friend. These simple things help us get the word out about how to Catholic. Until next week. Actually, until next season. Be saints. It's worth it. (laughs) 